0: Now, this study actually comes from Friday night because, again, we're looking through the scriptures on a Friday night, and I don't do any preparation. I just sort of let it happen. And we look, and we think, and consider, and I thought that it spoke very profoundly, And it reminded me of something I read from a preacher in this country. His name is Martin Lloyd Jones. You know, I've got an entire shelf of Martin Lloyd Jones on my bookcase there. And that's a lot. But I remember one thing he said that really stuck out in my mind. And he said, any institution left to itself, given enough time, will eventually become its exact opposite. I'll say it again. Any institution left to itself, given enough time, will eventually become its exact opposite. Now you think, is that true? Well... There's a general trend in this world to corruption. Even nations rise, and then they fall. They become their exact opposite. Businesses become something very different than what they started out as. And I think about Walt Disney Company. You know, in 1939, they were doing Snow White, And today, they're pushing a very different agenda that would not go over in 1939. You look at the United States of America. I look at it because that's where I'm from. But I think, man, that is not the country I left 32 years ago. And... You know, what Paul is saying in these scriptures is that the church is not safe from this tendency. You look over history and you know that there are times when the church of Jesus Christ has been completely contrary to what it ought to be. So my question then is, am I safe from this? Are you safe? from this, and I think only if we find some way of not drifting, you need some kind of an anchor for your soul, and God has made living anchors for us, and they're called roots, so this is what we're going to look at in these scriptures in 2 Timothy Chapter 3, Paul writes, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. Now, I'm sorry. I gotta apologize. You wanna come to church. You wanna hear the warm, fuzzy scriptures. You wanna get built up. And and then you want to go eat lunch. And these are not warm, fuzzy scriptures, okay? These are the scriptures where you kind of brace yourself and go, okay, what's he going to do? And I can't help that. It's kind of part of the warning here, and the warnings in the Bible are real. Now, Paul says In the last days, perilous times will come. And you ask the question, how perilous? And the answer is, this word here is only used one other time in the whole New Testament. And it describes the man who was possessed by 6,000 demons, who was so brutal and dangerous, that it was not safe to go by him because you could not get by him. Here's a chap who did not wear clothing. He lived in the tombs, he cut himself, he broke chains and was uncontrollable. Would you say that this gentleman was difficult? Yes, and Imagine, difficult, extremely violent times are coming. And the reason it will be dangerous and destructive is because men will love what they ought not to love. You see, we have this big list of qualities, but you notice it starts with men will be lovers of themselves. And it ends with lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And there you have it. Lovers of self rather than lovers of God. There's where an institution becomes its exact opposite. All the rest of the list just shows us what happens when people become lovers of themselves. And I'm not going to break down the entire list, but there are tendencies. And the first one I want to call to your attention is the fact that there is an undercurrent of pride. There will be boasters, proud. And this is a tendency to think more highly of oneself. Than one ought to. That's what pride is. You think that you're a better person than you really are. In fact, you're better than anyone around you. Now, the problem with this is that it is not true. Sorry to let you know now, but. This is something I even thought about as I was teaching this in Ziegen, is this realization that, you know, I am not what I would like to be. There are things about myself that I know about that I wouldn't want anybody else to know. And everybody is like that. Every single one of us here today knows things about yourself, that you wouldn't want anybody to know. You are not what you would like to be. We're very conscious that we fall short. And yet, there are people who believe they're better than they really are, honestly and truly. Now, if you think you're a better person than you really are, that means you are deceived. You believe a lie. And so there's going to be a whole group of people who are deceived. Now, pride and thinking that you're better than you really are leads to every kind of wickedness. I think I've said that before at different times. It's something that needs to be said because Everything that is wicked comes out of thinking I'm a better person than I really am, without exception. Because if I'm the best person, if I'm wonderful, then I can treat everybody else around me any way I want because it doesn't matter. The most important person is me. And nobody else counts, so, why should I worry about how I treat people? So, you'll see in this list in 2 Timothy 3, you get blasphemers, you get disobedient to parents, uh, brutal, despisers of good, traitors. You see, You can treat anybody any way you want if nobody else matters. And what Paul calls this, very right at the end of verse two, is unholy and unloving. Now that's interesting because holy is like God. And God is love. These two things go together. God thinks about others. He's not proud. He doesn't think on himself and just say, hey, I am glorious. Now if there is anybody in the universe that could sit around thinking about how fabulous they are, it's God. Name above all names, nobody higher. He could well and truly say, wow, I am fabulous. And it wouldn't be a lie. But he doesn't do that. He thinks about others to the point that's why we exist. God thought about us and then he made us because he is love, because love gives and he gives life. That's why we exist. You think, wow, I'm a lot of trouble. I've caused God trouble. I've caused my parents trouble. I've caused people all kind of trouble. God says, you know, I love you. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? So if you act like God, then you're going to think about others. You're going to think, how can I benefit their lives? What can I do for them? But if you're not like God, you're not gonna love people, you're not gonna think about them and say, well, what can I do to make their lives better? And instead of giving, you're going to take. One of the ways to take is to not carry through on commitments. And that's why that word traitors shows up there. Now, a traitor is somebody who doesn't carry through on commitments, who looks like he's on your side, but he's actually working for the enemy. He's not with you. So, a person who is just thinking about themselves is gonna lie to people, not care what happens to them. And then another trend in all this is serving other gods. Now, it doesn't say idolatry in this list, but you look at lovers of money, that's idolatry. Lovers of pleasure? See, if you're thinking about yourself, you're not going to go God's way because that seems a bit too much overhead to get the things you want. The way life is built is that you seek God first and then everything else comes as a side benefit. This is what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So that's the proper way that all of our needs in life are met. But that seems like an awful lot to people to think, why do I have to seek God to get the things I need. Why don't I just go after the things I want directly? To me, that's just more efficient rather than all this overhead of serving God and doing the religious thing. And it's like, why don't I just go after the good stuff? But see, that's the very essence of idolatry is I decide what is right for me and then I Just go after that. So, of course, lovers of money, that's a huge thing because with money, you can get everything else that you need. And so that becomes, you can convert it into all kind of stuff. Needs are met. Everybody's happy. And the other one is pleasure. That is, if you have all the pleasure that you want, Everything is great. Why should I suffer? But these are idols. These are false gods, and the problem with them is they do not keep their promises. And what happens instead is that instead of the person seeking these things being in control, the things themselves are in control. And so... Money becomes this thing that controls a person. Everything is decided in terms of what kind of money. And it becomes this addiction. The same with pleasure. In fact, money doesn't satisfy. Pleasure doesn't satisfy. And you can only... See this when you look at the lives of people who have buckets of money. Like, Bill Gates divorces his wife? Why? Irreconcilable differences? You mean they don't like each other? Now, you know, if he had 60 billion, 130 billion, how many billion? And he's not happy? Jeff Bezos divorces his wife. Why? Why wouldn't the money? The money, it's all there. What do you want? Well, it's not the money. Isn't that amazing? They're proving that there's no satisfaction. Now, no good can come of being a lover of self. Does everybody get this? No good can come of it. And in fact, it can only end in destruction and torment. The problem with treating everybody badly is that people eventually learn don't deal with this guy, this guy is toxic, and you you don't have any more relationships. Now, I read an interesting thing when I was in the NHS. I was waiting for my doctor's appointment and I was desperate. So I, there's a stack of magazines that ordinarily I wouldn't read, but I picked up one. It was a women's magazine. <laughs> it was that or the golf one, you know. So we were pretty desperate here. And I'm flipping through and I get to the, write-in-for-answers column, all right? And here, here was what the person was writing in for. Um, I divorced my husband because he spent all the money, and now his debt collectors are coming after me. What do I do? And I could not believe the answer that this columnist gave. He says, I'm sorry to have to break it to you, dear, But unfortunately, marriage is temporary. But divorce is eternal. That is, the wreckage and the pain goes on and on and on. Sorry to have to break it to you, dear. But this is what happens when relationships are blown up. The destruction goes on and on and on. Now, think about a world with blown up relationships and people pursuing things that cannot satisfy. And Paul says in verse five, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, this is weird, don't you think? A form of godliness. What does a form of godliness look like? And the answer is, you're a neat person. You're nice. Isn't that what the world thinks that being a Christian is? Oh, so you decided to be a nice person, did you? Well, good for you. Go ahead and be nice. Like, I could do that if I wanted to, I just don't feel like it because it's too much trouble. And they assume that all you got to do is 51% good, and that weighs out your 49% bad, and you're nice. But you know, Jesus wasn't a nice person. He was good. And there's a difference. When people met him, they got it immediately. And they said, this guy is good. I am not like this guy. This means I am bad. Do you get that? Everybody got that from Jesus. This guy is good. I am bad. Now, some people drew close to Jesus anyway because they got it. He knows I'm bad, but he loves me. Wow. And so you have tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, and they all just kind of... Sidle up to Jesus and kind of put their head on his shoulder. You go, and they love him, they think he's fabulous. Others get the same message and they go, We have to kill this guy because they don't like feeling bad. And they don't like being shown up as bad. So they say, we got to kill this guy. They got the same message though. You see, Jesus had the power of godliness. And What we did was on Friday night is we took this list and we turned it around to its opposite. And we found the power of godliness, the same power that Jesus was displaying in his goodness. The gospel has the power to make you a lover of God instead of a lover of yourself. Because this gospel, this good news about Jesus, puts you to death with Jesus. There's an end to your life of oh I love me, I think I'm fabulous, I'm the best one in the room, I know I am. Because again, if you come face to face with Jesus and you realize, He is good. I am nowhere like that. I am bad. Well, see, he deals with that. And he puts that old person to death. But then Jesus also rose from the dead with power. And it's a new life. Not like before. In this new life, you love God because he loved you when you were a sinner. Not when you were all fresh and nice and wonderful and you helped old ladies across the street and never put chewing gum under your seat. That's not why he likes you. But he loved you even when you only loved yourself. Now, you know, the longer I walk with Jesus, the less I see any reason why he should love me. I don't know if you ever experienced this, but I have pretty much proven to my own satisfaction that by myself, I am not a nice person. And I've actually freaked out some people like this. I don't know if I've told you the story of, I was in Tesco and somebody cut in front of me, you know, to the cashier and the line and everything, and I was like like this. And I think the cashier saw me and I apologized. I said, I'm sorry I got angry, you know, I'm not a very nice person. And she said, oh, no, you're a nice person. So I decided to freak her out. And I said, no, I'm not. I am a bad person. And she goes, no, 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 no. You're okay. You're okay. But I don't see a reason why God should love me. I don't don't do anything for him. I'm not, I'm not very productive. Are you all getting kind of tense? <laughs> this is not preparatory to pouring gasoline on me and then striking a match. I'm just saying, I, don't, I know, I don't bring God any prizes. And that forces me to think that the only reason God loves me is the decision that he made within his own heart. Not because I'm good, but because he is Good, and that's a decision he's not going to change. Now, you know, the more I know that, the more it humbles me. He knew all about my selfishness in advance. And he said to himself, You know what? I can last longer than him. I'm going to love him until he gets it, until he knows that he knows that he knows that I love him. Now, you know, that just makes me shrink, real small. And all I can say is, he's wonderful. Now see, there's a power going on there that makes you humble. That's the power of godliness. So where you look at yourself and you have more truth, you realize, Nothing here, folks. That's powerful. Because then, see, he makes you think about other people and how to benefit them. And that's love. Now, what comes of this is that you have a relationship with God. And you have a relationship with other people. And what turns out is that is satisfying. This is where the real satisfaction in this life comes from. Loving others and being loved. There is nothing that even comes close. Because what God has put into our hearts is eternity. And the only thing that can satisfy that is something eternal. And that is the love of God. And when God exercises his power in us to make us dead with Christ and alive with Christ, we begin to love one another. And there's where we get satisfied. So, We get to this point and we think, okay, we're in the last days. I hope everybody gets that. And what makes these times perilous is that these attitudes of loving oneself is in the church. You know that these are like way old sins. There's nothing knew about them, nothing innovative. Ever since Adam fell, you've had men loving themselves and loving money and boasting and all that stuff. But what's tragic is when that comes into the church and nobody notices, because everybody says, well, All that means is everybody's nice anyway. Now, how do you go from being a lover of God to being a lover of self? And the answer is you drift. It's not a sudden thing where the devil appears to you and says, come on, let's be wicked. You you wanna be wicked, you and me together? I'll give you pointers. Here's how you kick puppies. Come on. (laughs) Because you would say, no, I don't want to do that. But you, you do it by drifting. And that is there's a current in the world that's always going away from God. You notice it when you're going in the opposite direction, towards Jesus. Do you feel that current all the time? It's the current that when you pick up your Bible to read, you wanna fall asleep. Now you know I can read comic books all day long, but as soon as I pick up my Bible and I'm doing something worth doing, it's like bonk, Totally unconscious. Why is that? Or you try to pray. Oh, Lord, I... You know, he's out. But if you do anything else, you can stay awake. There's this current in the world that goes away from God. And if you follow Jesus, you're going to feel it. You know, that g verses on your face as you go this way. It just... You feel it. Now, when you get tired, you, re- you stop resisting and you can float. Now, here's the interesting thing that happens. When you drift, you stop receiving the love of God. And when you stop receiving the love of God, what you find is you get dissatisfied. Because only the love of God can satisfy you. But at the same time, you're not receiving the love of God, you're not receiving truth. And so you can begin to think that something else will satisfy you than the love of God. So you're dissatisfied, and you're looking for something to satisfy you, lo and behold, here comes a good alternative. Hi, I'm money, and I'll get you what you need. Stick with me. Or, hi, I'm pleasure. Ha, shall we get pleased? And then there you go, thinking, oh, this will satisfy me, this is a good alternative. Oh, and you're off. You're drifting. You're not making the effort because you don't have it inside. And it's by slow increments that you become the opposite of where you want to go, where you want to be. Does everybody get that? So... Drifting is not a good idea. You need an anchor. You need living anchors. That's what God has for us. Roots. Because you'll notice that a root or the root structure provides stability, anchoring for the plant, but it also provides intake of things that a plant needs. Now, funny enough, our roots go up, not down. We're used to thinking roots go down and all, but we're drawing from heaven, from God, and the two things we draw from Him are love and truth. It's because our minds have to run on 100% truth. Or they don't function our hearts have to run on a hundred percent divine love or they don't function right have you ever stuck diesel into a gasoline car Mm -hmm. does it work Uh uh-uh it doesn't i saw a friend of mine do that he was jet lagged out of his brain We picked him up in his van, he stopped at the station, and he filled it up, and we drove about 30 yards, and it went (laughs) chah, and that's it. Uh, Can you mute me for a second? So he ruined his car just like that. Now don't you think it would be, it's okay, don't you think it would be fabulous if we could put sugar water in our cars? It would be a lot cheaper, wouldn't it? but it wouldn't run. And see, we can't just stick anything into our brains and expect them to work right. If you stick something in there that's not true and you function as though it were, you mess yourself up. And it's the same with our hearts. We can't just stick anything in and expect to be satisfied. So, the roots that we develop are into the Word of God. And the reason is, the Holy Spirit, who communicates to us the love of God, is going to guide us into all truth. He's going to pour out in our hearts the love of God that we need that's going to satisfy us. And you know, when you're satisfied, you don't go looking for anything else to satisfy you. You don't even expect it to. Because you look at what could satisfy you and realize how weak that is. Only... Receiving the love of God is going to satisfy us. Whereas everything else, you know, it may not ever get resolved. This is a world that is totally broken. But if you get the love of God, you're going to be satisfied. And if you get the truth of God, your life will function like God means it to and that's gonna satisfy you more than any other created thing and that is what will protect you in these last days. Does everybody get that? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you understand the way that we work and you have mercy on us and you give us what we need. And we are aware of how perilous things are. But we look to you this morning. We pray that you would keep each one of us that we would know your love and that we would know your truth. And I want to pray this morning that we would have strong roots that go deep so that we know the truth and that we know your love. Just today, Lord, Satisfy our hearts with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.